0: You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit
1: back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 101 of The Weekly Brew podcast. My name is Austin Statton and I'm joined this week by Jeremy Paxton, Hunter Atkins, Derek Fogel. Unfortunately, Jared could not be here with us today. But uh, guys, as you heard from the intro song, Game of Thrones is back. And and Jeremy, you're sitting across me right now. I can tell you're absolutely glowing. I see both Hunter and Derek just completely rolling their eyes right now as as I'm doing. Uh, How stoked are you for
0: winter coming. Is, is, that, is that the right term? It, it's, it, no, winter is here, Austin. I, is, I'm like a kid. Um, uh, this is like 10 Christmas mornings all all piled into Do you have some pretty terrible Christmases growing up? Uh, or is it
2: because there's a lot of nudity in your Christmases?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, you bring up some really painful memories for me that I'm not going to discuss uh, in front of the public. But anyways, so yeah, Game of Thrones season seven premieres tonight. Um, everyone knows that this is the second to last season course i actually did it not isn't know
2: even the last one
0: it's not even the last one no you have everyone one more knows. year of obnoxious game of thrones fans shaming you for not being into the phenomenon how, how about us three the globe. shame
1: you for your obsession
0: whoa what h- excuse me this is on 170 countries the most obsessed about show what i loved what you said was everyone knows it's everyone knows season that's, and I'm sitting that's here. right no i have no idea what's happening 171 countries no 170 countries sorry on the globe it's also the most pirated show in history how do you so, know how do you know this uh I read a time article about it. Okay. Actually, It's Game good. of Thrones. Bro. Anyways, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's kind of funny. So you guys are gamblers, correct? I, I am. Okay, so, so I'm just a loser. <laughs> people are actually betting on who's most likely to die, and not only in this episode but throughout the season. So that's
2: kind
1: of cool. So how, how do you handicap that? I, it's,
0: er, I, I'm actually not sure. Also, um, if
2: you're a writer on the show, can't you just you know, like got cash sell, out.
1: You've got to set like limits, right? Like only fifty dollars max per bet, or something like that. I think before these, uh, before the odds were the least, They they wrote this
0: a while ago, so I, you know. But it's interesting. Maybe last minute script changes. All right, uh, give
2: us um, a prediction of, of you know an amazing twist you see coming in the show.
0: Uh, amazing twist I, for. You know, I, I'm actually kind of thinking that the show is going to go where everyone thinks it's going to go, because what, what's happened in the last couple of epi- uh, couple seasons is that the show's diverged quite a bit from the books. So I, I know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds.
1: Is that... All right, so
3: anyways...
0: Anyways, are you, are you, episode
1: 101 dead? of the Weekly Brew podcast is brought to you by Audible. Uh, get a free audiobook, download and a 30-day free trial, trial at audibletrial.com/weeklybrewcast. There are more than 180,000 titles to choose from on your iPhone, Android, or Kindle device. And if you want to be like Jeremy, you could probably download some version of Game of Thrones on there, but uh, that's all the Game of Thrones Audible we're talk is a sponsor of
2: this podcast. Yeah, where
1: were you at last Since week? Since when? Last week. I love Audible. Yeah.
2: Free. I'm happy to promote it myself. Yeah. Like it's
1: audibletrial.com slash weekly brewcast.
2: And you, don't you get you get a free? Don't you get a free download when you sign you
1: up? You get a free download.
2: I downloaded Kitchen Confidential years ago. Anthony Bourdain's groundbreaking book about the culinary underbelly, and he narrates it. It is amazing. I recommend everybody download it.
1: that. You're, Jeremy, your girlfriend actually met Anthony Bourdain this past week, right? Uh, yeah, I met him first. From a, okay, whatever. <laughs>
0: from a distance, uh, she watched That's not she meeting. him walk to his That's car. That's called a cam. Girl. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> you calling my girlfriend a cam girl?
4: Why do we always go here? Why does, it, <laughs> <laughs> why does it reach this point? I never... Good thing I'm a guest. I don't know what I'd do if I was a regular here. All right, so we actually have two good guests on today's show. Uh, we've
1: got Jake Kaplan from the Houston Chronicle. Uh, he's going to talk a little Astros Louis baseball. Sir. We also have uh, Julian Mark uh from The Points Guy. He talks a little bit about uh, maximizing your travel. He was also a former TV producer and writer from uh, WWE. So, uh, pretty fascinating conversation with him. But, uh, Hunter, I see your, your, your mouth is mouth. You didn't tell dropped. me about this.
0: You should have. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you would have looked at the show, right? Yeah. Sorry, have I was busy
2: it. working for a living. <laughs> fair. What? Fair. Um, wait. You interviewed somebody who wrote for WWE and he was you a didn't producer. Just call me immediately?
1: I, I mentioned your name in the interview.
2: But you didn't call me. I'm sorry.
1: Sorry, Hunter. <laughs> Alright, so we have two great guests on the show. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Game of Thrones, I guess follow Jeremy at Fiesta Bear08. He'll probably be like live tweeting or something like that. That's your uh, Twitter. Every
2: <laughs> moment. Your Twitter handle is Fiesta Bear08.
4: That's correct. That's amazing. I made it like five or six years ago, and was too lazy to change it. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. do too. It's a had, hilarious handle. I had to change mine because it was unprofessional. What was it? What Dirk? was it? It was okay. You've seen the skit of Andy Sandberg. They do sports nuts. Yep. So mine was Fogue Nuts. Really appropriate. <laughs> Had to change that to something much. Did more you spell radio. it F A U? Wait, hold on, hold on. Did you did you change it after Jared got arrested? Uh, no. Okay. It was. It didn't upset later. your family. I know it was a sensitive time. You know, you always want to pull. What's this? the first
2: topic we're going to get to, Austin?
4: There you go.
1: <laughs> Let's go to the first topic real quick. Uh, this past week, major headlines were uh, made in the New York Times. They released uh, a story that was, I guess, preempted by Donald Trump Jr. Uh, Suggesting, actually confirming that he had a uh, a meeting with a a Russian lawyer connected to the Kremlin uh, that potentially could be damning for the Trump administration uh, when it comes to meddling with the whole election whether or not Russia was involved and whether uh, the Trump administration could own this. And, why is this? Uh,
2: why are you? Why are you saying with such a like maybe all these tones and skepticism? There literally <laughs> it was the offer. In the email of incriminating information, damaging information, to which you replied, "quote I love it." I know. Why are you saying it as if it's
1: all like in question? Um, It happened (laughs) to the extent of what that means for the Trump administration moving forward. That's the question mark.
2: Yeah. Well, Mueller is going to be a bulldog. We'll see. I I, I think
1: doubtful. uh, uh, I'll put it to you
2: this way, and you heard here on this podcast. I have certain information that's shady. I have certain information to indicate that this is not going to be a joke. This is going to be really scrupulous. That this guy Mueller, I'm just letting you know, he's, this is, he's not a crony. He's not going to be intimidated. And before you have some snide remarks, <laughs> I just want you to know that, that it, maybe you feel pessimistic because of how far this administration has gotten and basically been unscathed. This is a serious,
0: serious investigation. Okay, well, what... I mean, l- 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 let me ask you. First of all, James Mueller is like BFS with James Comey. So it's no surprise how, s- yeah, yeah, I see Cheshire cat grinning here. Okay, what law was No, I'm laughing because of the use of BFS. No, he's, he is BFS <laughs> with James Comey. I, I do line. not trust Robert Mueller one bit.
1: To, to be fair, or Do you trust or anyone that's not like in the Trump administration. I don't trust the Trump administration. How about you trust
0: me you. when I say I have some insider
1: information? I, okay. I, I trust Hunter in a completely I'm, I'm different gonna way. Pause, I'm going to pause real quick. Uh, <laughs> Jerry just I, fell backwards and I caught him. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, but earlier this week, uh, House Democrat Brad Sherman actually filed an article of impeachment against Trump. Did anyone see that? Like, I it, did. Hold
0: on. And his co-sponsor was Houston. Representative Al Green, right? Yeah, and he went on a hilarious um, tirade on. Didn't he how... write that great song from the seventies? So in love. With he he, you. he certainly is aged enough Whatever to have done that, but I don't think he is.
1: Do. Does, does Pitbull do a cover of that? He's alright with <laughs> me. All right, so
4: Derek, you're kind of like sitting over here kind of like twiddling your thumbs I, man politics i, I will not <laughs> jump into that if you think that sports is a mosh pit sports talk i mean political talk is all right jeremy like save him what was, deadly keep going. Mosh pit. what was
0: your take
2: on this you you you, you, you really have no faith in the
0: guy no i i, I don't know i don't i don't have any faith in Mueller. he's going to drag out any investigation he can for as long as he can to disrupt the trump administration's agenda and that's just what he was why, why is that a bad thing i mean if, if russia
1: did meddle any election and, and Trump administration as we saw through Donald Trump Jr did want to get information from the Kremlin w- why is that a bad thing that Mueller uh, Miller wants to f- find out and you know try to make this right for the United States I mean do, do you I, I don't know I, to me I think it's bothersome the documents and the emails that we saw from Don Jr Granted, right now we don't have confirmation that there was collusion. It sure as hell looks like it, but there's nothing. Jeremy, yeah, yeah. you're not Co- arguing collusion's with. not the right, right word to use. People need to stop using that word. Hey, here, here's my thing. You mean treason? If, if
0: somebody, if if you're <laughs> an, if you're running a national election, somebody comes to you and it's like, I've got damning information about your opponent. Right. You 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 take a meeting. Like why the heck not? Well,
2: not with an enemy of the state. What do you mean? This state? is this is like are we at war
0: is... with the Russians? No. Proxy and no, war. Yeah, let's, yeah let's, proxy Let's, war let's not forget. Hold on. Let's let's not forget the Hillary Hillary Clinton's. Okay,
1: this has nothing campaign. to do with Hillary, though.
0: It does have to do with Hillary. Her, Hillary colluded. No, it's confirmed collusion with the Ukrainian government. Now it wasn't a top down collusion. Like Wait, well, sorry. The, did you read that on Breitbart? No, or? I know it's 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 not read on Breitbart, but. <laughs> This, this has been going on for a long time. I mean, the Russians, foreign governments, are constantly trying to, quote-unquote, meddle in our elections. The fact that this is like a news story right now is only because it's convenient for people in the media. I, Actually, I know. The, the fact Trump that it's a news
2: story is because what was described as opposition research was unprecedented in how... Let me, hold on. Okay. Hold on. No, hold I'm, I'm going to let you talk. You don't go to an international enemy who's trying to f up our
0: election. They were duped. They're idiots. And they fell for it, Jeremy. Okay. L- l- let me ask you, what about the Golden Shower's dossier that uh, the Clinton campaign, and not to mention John McCain, <laughs> tried <laughs> no, to use... The, no. Hold on. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's talk about... Let's talk it about, wasn't taken seriously. Su- it John was not McCain. taken seriously. You're right, because it was like reported by BuzzFeed. I mean, the, the whole thing was ridiculous, but it was, it was passed off as it was, as legitimate. If people trying to bring down Donald Trump and it was ridiculous. What about Kid Rock? He uh, wants to run for president. <laughs> yeah, I know. actually uh, what was it? So, Kid- what's her, so Jeremy, tie this up. That was what's a good a political job. Listen, listen, if I if I'm giving advice to Don Trump Jr., I, I would have told him not to take the meeting. I think it was I think it was in bad form to do but I, I have to ask you what laws were broken by. On this up
1: real quick. I yeah. actually talked to somebody this past week who worked in the Bush administration. Um, He had told me that while nothing in particular might have been illegal with that meeting, it sure looks, one, extremely bad. Two, the first thing that Don Jr. should have done was alert the campaign manager that this was happening and not take the meeting. So... Sure, something. It, it might not technically be illegal, at least at this point, from the information that we know. Right. Was it unethical? Yes. Should he have taken the meeting?
2: No. Also, it's not mutually exclusive from all the other things we've hold been on, Hold on, those. I,
0: I agree. Like Austin, I, I agree. I, I basically agree with what you're saying. I don't. I, if if I had been Don Jr., I wouldn't have taken it. I'd be like, this, this sounds shady. This is ridiculous. We're going to wing until later without this. But that being said, the fact that it was a bad idea doesn't make it. Illegal in and of itself, and that's that's really the what what people who are you know trying to bash the Trump administration are going for. Is that this was illegal? This was some this was some sort of offense that's going to bring down the Trump administration. and It's just not going to happen. This is just another story that's going to be it's it's going to tarnish the administration certainly. <laughs> but this ha- remember this happened back in June. So your of point last is year. that
4: like you can drink to the point of alcohol poisoning. It's not illegal, but it's a bad idea. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I follow. It's not it's
0: not it's not advisable, <laughs> like but it's how not you illegal. Make it simple for us.
1: Yeah. now I get it.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I'll 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 tie it up to circle back to the, what I said before about. You know how I have some good information to suggest that this is really s- a really serious guy.
0: With is, a really it, serious it, team. Is, is this a leak? Are you a leaker?
2: I don't think it's a leak. It's like a teardrop. teardrop. It's like a little teardrop. But but what I was gonna say is this: is that right now, you know, people like us who basically know nothing—that's right. um, that, fair. What? But all we know is what hits the headline news, right, Jeremy? I'm telling you right now, you cannot imagine the kind of stuff that Mueller is going to be able to get is gonna be able to divulge and put together a case. Now, yeah, I think this, you know, the I love, the quote, I love that, you know, apart from Donald Trump Jr. about the, uh, the damning information, fine, yeah, that's not enough. That's all you and I know right now sitting here, dude. Can you imagine? This is, this is the stuff that got out because they're so dumb and so bad at this. Just wait until they are thoroughly investigated.
0: I won't, I won't hold my breath. Let's put it that way.
1: So, I did actually see a great tweet uh, this week, and it said, This is House of Cards. This is the House of Cards plot with the characters from Veep. And that, I, th- I think that's like 100% accurate. <laughs> Who wrote that? That's brilliant. Uh, Let me see. Give somebody credit for yeah, that. That's, it was some geez. guy on Reddit named Dan Pfeiffer.
2: You know, yeah, Dan Pfeiffer's a...
1: <laughs> I, I I've never heard of the guy. Dan VK. Pfeiffer? Dan was a real deal. All right, anyway, yeah. let's move on. All right, so Trump administration, we'll see what happens. Gambling odds for him being impeached continue to be a, a hot topic. But all right, let's move on to uh, really quickly Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Uh, Venus Williams, a hell of an effort, finishes second. Uh, Roger Federer, arguably the greatest tennis player of all time, clinches, clinches his eighth. Wimbledon Championship, Sunday morning. Who's a fan here at this table? Um, Derek,
2: Derek, you and me, right? Oh, yeah. You know who Cliff Drysdale is? Yeah. You do? The South African tennis commentator? Uh-huh. Who usually announces the women's matches? Right. Yeah, what about him? Well, he's... Ca- I th- aren't you supposed to get a call from him? I think so. Like any Wait, moment, right?
1: Yeah, hold on. Uh, actually, he's dialing in right now. Hello. I'm calling for the weekly brew
2: here from South Africa. Derek, what were your thoughts on Venus's efforts? He was having some abdominal pain, but... Overcame that just for a short. What, Derek, what was your take on that? It's a fine match.
4: it's uh, well done, dude. You're a man. Derek, of many I'm hats. waiting
2: for your analysis here. Please. I don't uh, have much time. Analysis. It's like uh, four in the morning here.
4: She just uh, didn't have it. Muguruza.
2: Great take, Derek.
4: Thank uh. you. <laughs> and Roger Federer. you know, talk about the greatest
2: ever. It's not even a conversation anymore. He's is you know by far and away the most accomplished uh, athlete we've ever had in this sport. Derek, the match that you woke up and saw this morning, what what stood out to you?
4: He was a magician. Federer was toying with him at one, but in the second set he won six one. He had Chilich crying. He was allegedly injured, but we never really found out the injury. And he literally just sat down and cried. <laughs> <laughs> what a farce! <laughs> After the end of the second set. Federer is incredible. I've been a fan ever since he took down Pete Sampras in like... Okay. Rot, right, I have to give
2: Rod a zebra. I'll talk to you guys later. Well,
1: thanks for joining us. We appreciate that. But, okay, Derek, I'm going to ask it.
4: you again. Yeah. He
1: didn't lose a set the entire Wimbledon tournament. That but, is remarkable. But Hunter. he also didn't face the other top guys. He didn't play Andy Murray. He didn't play uh, Djokovic. I mean, does there that kind of tarnish No, the whole, The goal? whole
2: pool. It, this is a more complicated discussion than that because... The whole talent pool in tennis right now is in, is in a weird place. You, know, you have the old guard of guys like Nadal and Murray and, I mean, I don't even know who else would be in the class anymore. But Djokovic. Djokovic, yeah. Who are, I mean, Nadal really is, is tragically you know, done. He's really on the other I mean, side he, of it. He and then the Murray and, open. No, I, I, I mean... I, look, if we're going to have a hard hardcore discussion, right. it's going to take all day, but in a weird way, you can't count that so much because it's 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 a little cheapened. Um, you know, he dominates it the same way that Pete Sampras dominated it when you know Sampras wasn't like a dominant hardcore player. So, um, no, it, the, the story, the narrative for Federer is his. It's a testament to his incredible you know
4: consistency and supremacy. It's that he's been able to adapt in this part of his career. And he came back from an injury, too. He hadn't won a title since 2012, and then he finally gets the Australian this year, and then now Wimbledon. I mean.
2: so, so as guys like Nadal get hurt, or Murray just lose steam, Djokovic, whatever weird spiral he's in. Federer's uh, fine wine, man. He's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I can't... Uh, the, the best comparison I really... It's a weird one now, but I mean, Tiger Woods was, was probably a, the only parallel athlete in terms of trying to match dominance. up their... But also, age bracket too. Like, as Tiger got, was winning at a certain age, That's, that, that as well.
4: And I would even say the craftsmanship too. Like, what they're able to do with their respective equipment is incredible.
2: I do wish, man, it's, it stinks that there isn't a really cool American tennis player for us to root.
4: Andy for. Roddick was hardly a he was dominant. Fun. I mean, no, he's he, fun. I, I,
2: I was saying, because it would be really cool. Right now, if as Federer is, is in the last throes of his dominance, there could be an American tennis star to come why, up and challenge. Why I mean, is it's that really cool?
1: Why do we not have I mean we, we see we see Isner kind of make runs here and there, but he, he never nah, goes no, deep in the majors. But like why don't we have an American since Roddick
4: that has been able to compete well, at the world Jack level Jack Sock is your next closest. No thing. stop, no. I no, went no. to high school with him, so I'm I'm a you bit of did? a fan. Yeah, I knew him in high school very well actually. But I'm so I naturally want to say, like, oh, yeah. When you Jack guys walked sock.
2: around, was it like a sock and shoe, like, thing where like, <laughs> uh, you're a cool duo? Yeah, like
4: exactly. Compliment each other. That's exactly. I knew his okay. brother, too, Eric. Um, little but, Sock, yeah. Now Big Sock. A Big Sock. Yeah, sock. he's older than, yeah, Little Sock. Mm-hmm. But I want to say Jack, but then Sam Query, he would look good. He went to the,
2: didn't you go to the semis? Quarterfinals? In, the, in in Wimbledon? How far did he get?
4: Sock? No. Yeah. Query. Query, already- yeah. He made it into the round of eight. Yeah. Yeah. So he did well. But uh, it's it's tough to like weigh like the American people on why we suck at tennis or why we don't have someone <laughs> better at tennis. Like you can't just weigh that on the entire country. Like right. look at the state that men's tennis is in. Andy Murray is a phenomenal talent, but he just happens to be in the era with Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, who have been dominant an, an in adult. unprecedented yeah. fashion. Right. So
2: and Stan Vavrinka steals a few. Yeah.
4: yeah. But is coming up. So that's kind of how you have to look at it. It's just the, the era you're in, the state of tennis. Like, it's not conducive to a mediocre American. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: actually kind of funny. Like, I, like Growing up, I don't think I remember anybody, any one of my friends, like, saying, oh, yeah, I want to go out for tennis. And, like, I remember even when we were at Baylor, they were importing their tennis players from the Czech Republic. That was, like, hmm. their yeah. thing. And so when we, like, went to the... Like, when we won the NCAA championship in 2004... Uh, it was it was like nine percent or you know vast majority of foreign players. What are the
2: kids doing these days the video games the
0: Facebook what are they what, what are they playing Game of Thrones <laughs> Like, all day long. And that's I'm actually, I'm this actually this playing right. it. That's a perfect rap. <laughs> I, I, I get a, get a C- Xbox controller and act like I'm uh, controlling the characters. Okay, the I
1: guess ever since the Wii Sports came out, that's kind of when tennis went down here in the U.S. But, all right, so uh, we actually have two great guests on today's show. We've got Jake Kaplan from the Houston Chronicle and Julian Keel mm. from the Points Guy. Uh, and We also want to remind you that you can uh, check out our sponsor's website, Audible, at audibletrial.com slash weeklybrewcast. You can get a free download and a 30-day free trial. Highly recommend checking that out. Wait, Audible sponsors the podcast? I think we discussed this at the beginning of the show. It's Way over my head. (laughs) All right, so we've got a packed show on deck uh, today, uh, so it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us in studio at The Weekly Brew is uh, Jake Kaplan, who's no stranger to the show. And Jake, we are post-All-Star break now uh astros you know playing the twins this weekend uh but you just got back from miami the all-star game the home run derby uh, first off how's it going and how was miami it was good uh honestly it was hotter than
5: it felt hotter than houston so that wasn't fun um but you know it was it was the game was kind of a snoozer uh the Futures game was interesting, and the Home Run Derby
1: was interesting. So you'll, you'll take two out of three, I think. I mean, that's not too bad. I mean, watching the Home Run Derby on uh, on television Monday night, Aaron Judge was just an absolute freak. I mean, I I, I, I saw him a few weeks ago when the Yankees were in town. Mm-hmm. I went to the game on the Friday night uh, where Aoki ended up getting him to fly out. Which just an amazing <laughs> moment. But Best I to, moment of the year. Yeah, I, I got to see him in college, actually. I was a, an SID at Louisiana Tech, and uh, Tech played uh fresno state his freshman year i think he went like five for 15 uh and we all knew that he was a highly rated prospect after his freshman year mm-hmm. but i don't think that we could have envisioned seeing him be like an mvp candidate winning the the derby i mean h- how phenomenal was it just to watch him in batting practice i think the most impressive thing was the opposite field power
5: he's going like upper deck right field looking like he missed hit balls right <laughs> like it's stupid Uh, but yeah he's been the best player in baseball there's no doubt about it with Mike Trout out he's the MVP front runner Um, it's been incredible and he wasn't great last year by any means in his first uh, taste of the majors and he struck out a lot and now he's coming up and he's he's just a beast and it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how he keeps it up if he keeps it up at what level he keeps it up for the second half Um, but it's it's been really fun to watch and I know a lot of the narrative and conversation now at, at this week at, in Miami or this past week in Miami was, is he, can he be the new face of baseball and, and all that kind of stuff? And,
1: you know, it might be a little early for that, but right. I think
5: he's got that potential.
1: And he seems like he's a good guy. Like he doesn't seem like he's going to have the off the field issues or anything like that. I mean, it it seems like, he's doing well in New York. He's not going to buy into all the hype. Is, is that a fair statement?
5: I've never met the guy, but ever, from everyone I've talked to who's spoken to him or everyone in the media who covers him, that's, yeah, he's apparently an awesome guy. So that that definitely seems like a fair statement.
1: So outside of the All-Star game, the Derby, the Futures game,
5: how was the Miami nightlife? <laughs> <laughs> the two bars that us writers frequented was were fun. Uh, they were just like any normal other bar you'd see anywhere else. I didn't see South Beach, uh, I uh, can't say the same for other writers, but that's not really my my uh, my scene. So any good stories? Not really. Uh, writers are kind of boring, talking about baseball in their newspapers and, you know, boring things like that.
1: Fair enough. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess the big storyline, obviously, uh, taking place is the Astros Dodgers seem to be separating themselves right now in the AL and the NL. Uh, Astros look like they need to probably make a trade for a starting pitcher, maybe a left-handed reliever. Uh, big news on Thursday, Quintana dealt to the Cubs for four or five prospects, some some big-name prospects. But at the end of the day, you, you have a known commodity in Quintana going to the Cubs to hopefully close that gap between Milwaukee. But uh, if you're either you know, the Astros' front office right now, are you content with the roster that you have? Or do you just... Make a move because you think you have to make a move. I don't think you make a move just to make a move. I think you make a
5: move if you think that the starter you're acquiring is going to pitch one of the four games in the playoffs, in a playoff series. So at this point, they're going to win their division. I mean, I don't think it would take like... I
1: think, think Fangraphs had them at 100%. Yeah, it would take the like a colla- the collapse of all
5: collapses if, the, if they didn't. So you can kind of like... You don't need... Unlike the Cubs who literally need a starter for the, to get a playoff spot the Astros need a starter for the playoffs so they can construct their moves around the, forming the best 25-man playoff roster. So if you can get a starter who you think can slot in between either Kygel and McCullers, McCullers and Morton, or even after Morton and, and improve your, your top four starters and protect against the potential of future injury, you know, all these guys have been on the DL once, you know, there's, there's never a sure thing that everyone stays healthy by any means, so... I think you do it, but is that guy out there at a price that they're willing to meet? I don't know. Um, they didn't do anything last off season on that in that regard um, with Quintana or, or any of these guys. So, be interesting to follow for the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, Sonny Gray is going to be the name you hear about the most. Um, you know, the A's are clearly rebuilding, going going young. He's under control for two and a half seasons, which is one fewer season than Quintana. So you figure the price is a little bit lower, but still a big price and. Uh, you know there's rentals out there like you Darvish if the Rangers decide to sell which you know there's still only a couple of games out of the playoffs at this point so that's no sure thing but he could be out there um although i think it would be probably a long shot for them to trade with the
1: Astros. And it would probably make more sense for the Astros to just wait on Darvish, right? I mean he's a he's a free agent next year. Why not make a move to see if he can you can get him under contract or Cuz they got to
5: win this year. I mean th- like That's fair. You're trying to maximize this team. There's no guarantee that Although they only lose Beltron and Gregerson to, as, to free agency, there's no guarantee that this team, you know, Replicates. you ever have a team right. who producing at this level again. I mean, this is a special team. They're on a 109 win pace, 110 win pace, whatever it is at this moment. Um, you know, they're one of the best offenses that I've ever seen. So, um, you know, you never know when that opportunity is going to come around again. So, yeah. Um, We'll see how the market shapes up. I mean, the Blue Jays are a team to watch. They have a couple guys if they decide to sell. But all these teams are so close to playoff spots that
1: the next two weeks will be really big to determining who's selling and who's buying. I I know you weren't here in 2015, but the mindset's totally different. I mean, back then the Astros were, what, five games up on the Rangers, but the Rangers were closing strong at the All-Star break. Astros were slumping. That's not the case. I mean, Astros have a double-digit lead. They're the only team over 500 in the division, but... I thought you said something interesting in your first answer. You said that you you're developing your roster now for the postseason. So mm-hmm. you're not looking to try to get into the postseason. You're trying to look at matchups between potentially the Yankees, potentially the Red Sox. How do you match up against Cleveland who you're one in five this year against who are names out there or pieces out there that you think could help the Astros in a potential first or second round matchup against one of the other better teams in the AL. Um, that's a good question. I think,
5: you know, I, I think for starters, you just—I don't know if, if matchups are the are really what you're going to be examining when you're looking at who to acquire from a starter. I think that's going to be boiled down to, you know, what the asking price is and, and what the Astros are willing to give up. But I think they do need a left-handed reliever if they want to match up with the Indians um, as well as they can. I mean, I think they're a better team than the Indians, but five-game and seven-game series, is a lot of randomness, so. You've got to maximize your opportunity, and I think the Indians have those lefty, lefty hitters in the middle of their lineup, and, and if you got a Justin Wilson from the Tigers or um, Sean Doolittle from the A's or Brad Hand from the Padres, that would help your chances because Tony Sip isn't isn't that guy. Um, so I, I think that's one way to match up better with some of these teams. Um, but other than that, I mean, they, they've shown that they can match up pretty well. They didn't do well against the Red Sox. Uh, I think they lost two out of three when they were, in, were here, but I mean... You didn't have Keiko, you didn't have McCullough. Yeah, so it was kind of a different right. series. And the Red Sox are playing maybe better now anyway. So, I it, mean, it, it's tough to really put too much stock into the regular season matchups into the postseason. But on paper, I think a left-handed
1: reliever would really help in in the case of Cleveland, at least. So, I mean, sticking with the pitching staff, Keiko is supposed to come back here in a few weeks. He apparently had a good, uh, I guess, simulation on the mound a few a few days back. Uh, McHugh has been uh, doing the rehab starts in the minor leagues do you kind of wait and see how they react in their first or second start before you make a move? Because, I mean, we're still two weeks out from the deadline. Yeah, I mean, if you can. I don't think they have that much bearing on it, though, honestly. like Keiko's going to be
5: in the rotation. He's, he's going to be their ace. So, um, you know, if you're acquiring someone, it's probably to upgrade over McHugh. So, you know, I don't think you really need to wait because of that. Um, you know, he's still got some hurdles to clear in terms of health. And he wasn't good last year. He had a four-and-a-half ERA. So there's kind of two little avenues there. Is he, is he going to be healthy, and is he going to be good? So um, those are some things that he needs to answer when he comes back. Um, but, you know, I don't think, you know, I think if you're acquiring someone, again, it's, it's to be in your top four, not to help you get through the season. I think they have a lot. They have, some, you know, once Heikel and McHugh are back, they have like six or seven starters for five spots. So, you know, they're going to have to make some tough decisions anyway in terms of who goes to the bullpen who goes to triple a but you know I, I don't think it really matters at the end of the day i think what matters is them matching up for the postseason
1: and I, I look at brad peacock he's a guy that has been lights out when he's pitched he's he's kind of struggled a little bit you know whether it's a fourth inning you know in his first he starts fifth inning sixth inning and it just looks like it's a stamina issue but his numbers when he's on just you know phenomenal throwing nearly 14 strikeouts on a nine inning basis but is he a guy that you have to move back into the bullpen to almost provide that reliable arm, that guy who can go in in the high-leverage situations? Because I feel like right now, the only reliable guy that you have is probably Davinsky and then Harris and and then Giles. And like, who do you pitch in the ninth inning in a high-leverage situation in the playoffs? Who's who's your guy? Is is Peacock potentially that answer? Or uh, do you go to Davinsky, or do you stick with the guy who's been closing out the games this year?
5: Well, it depends on who's pitched earlier in the game. I don't think modern-day progressive managers manage to hold your best reliever for the ninth inning. Right. Um, But I think Brad Peacock could be kind of a second Davinsky. Um, He can go multiple innings out of the pen. He's got the wipeout slider. Um, That's been really good for him this year. His fastball command's good. Um, He hits that 70 to 85 pitch mark, and it falls falls off the cliff kind of, but... You um, know, I think if you used him for three innings and two innings in a in in out of the, in a Davinsky like role, I think he'd be pretty effective. Uh, and that's a pretty big weapon to have two of those guys. Um, plus, you know, Harris has gone multiple innings. Michael Feliz has gone multiple innings. So they, they have a good bullpen. I think they need a lefty, uh, or even if not a lefty, a guy a righty, one more righty who can get lefties out. Um, but I you know I think the who's the closer? Who's going to be the ninth inning guy? Is like. I keep hearing that with the Nationals. Like, who's going to. Well, I mean, they have bigger they issues. Just need every, so. they, just need, they just need relievers that can get pitchers out. I don't care what inning they're pitching in. Like, I just think the closer role is so.
1: Okay. So, if, if you're A.J. Hench, when Keichel comes back, Miku comes back, hypothetically, you make a, a, a deal at the deadline. What do you do with the rotation? I mean, you—you you, like you said, you've got seven guys for five slots. Somebody either has to get sent down or somebody's got to be moved to the pen.
5: Well, Musgrove's the only one who has options, so maybe you send him to AAA. Um, Peacock would probably go to the bullpen. But um, someone will get... I mean, there's always more injuries. They're not going to be 100% healthy the whole second half. Um, you know that. I mean, look at their first half. Every single pitcher except for Mike Fiers
1: uh, had a, a DL stint and Peacock. And he's actually stepped up his game. I mean, he's, he's kind of working his slider a little bit more. I mean... Granted, his last two games he's been shaky with the walks, putting guys on base, but he's still getting out of. He's been above league average, right?
5: And if he's your five, that's all you're asking for. I mean, it's more than you're asking for, really. So, um, yeah, he really turned his season around after he got kicked out of the rotation for twenty four hours. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, those questions are they're interesting. I don't, you know, I think Peacock would be the odd man out before fires. I think Musgrove would be the odd man out before Peacock, but you know. I bet they'll all make starts at some point in September, and you know it's a good problem to have when you want to manage innings in September and look ahead to the, to October.
1: So I guess looking back at the first half, real quick, I, I think when we had you on at, at the start of the season, we both thought that the Astros would be good this year. Mm-hmm. I don't think either one of us pegged sixty wins at the All Star break, being what only the fifth team to do that or sixth team to do that in the past forty years. I mean, what have been some of the surprises for you? Uh, in the first half of the season, and can they continue at this high clip?
5: I think it can, which is scary, um, because their offense is that good and that deep. They've position player wise, they've stayed healthy, uh, so that you know that maybe they've had some scares with Curry getting hit on the hand, Altuve colliding, Springer got hit it, on the hand. Right. Yeah, they've had some of those, but you know, none of those guys have been on the DL except for McKinnon and Reddick for concussions, which and apparently that was a good thing for Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'd say like. It's, if they stay healthy, it's sustainable. Um, surprises. I was skeptical Keuchel would return to form like he has. Um, I didn't know Josh Reddick was this good. Uh, I thought it was he was good. I didn't think he was like, going to have a career season uh, and be their th- two and three hole hitter. What, you know, depending on the day. Um, you know, Brian McCann. I think has hit a little bit better than I thought he would. Just given what he did with the Yankees the last couple of years. Um Who else? You know, Marwan Gonzalez, I, think, I don't think anyone, even the Astros, would expect what he's done this year. So all those guys have surprised me in different ways. But, you know, I don't think what Correa or Altuve or Springer... We knew they were capable of. Yeah, maybe uh, Springer a little bit. I don't know if I thought he was going to... Th- thrust himself into the MVP conversation.
1: But he's he's shown flashes of it. Yeah. But he's never put a string together like he has this right. year.
5: Um, I was maybe thought he'd be more like what he was last year, but he's turned into, like, borderline superstar this year. So maybe that's a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, we knew what Altuve was going to do. We knew, what, for the most part, what Correa was going to do. I think some people freaked out after his April. But uh, since April, he's been almost as good as Aaron Judge. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think those those guys, but also you know i don 't think I expected the Mariners to be as bad as they 've been i don 't think I expected the Rangers to be as bad as they 've been um, so those also contribute, although their records also a lot of it is the Astros beating up on them so or some of it I should say not a lot of it
1: and i 'm totally fine with that continuing to happen as a uh, a lifelong fan of the Houston Astros but uh, one guy who I don't know. We we talk about the offense being historical. I, I think like five thirty eight this week actually said that uh, move over twenty seven Yankees. If if the Dodgers and Astros keep up at this pace, they're historically a better team than twenty seven Yankees, and that's kind of in a lot of baseball fans' minds. The all time team, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's been other teams with better records, uh, more more offensive production, but that's just sort of the mythical baseball team, if you will. But toward the bottom of the lineup, and then even with Carlos Beltran you, you seem to see him struggling. He he's not the guy that, you know, we saw last year at the end of the season with the Rangers. He's not he seems to be regressing, but he's still kind of that glue in the bullpen that or not not the bullpen, but in the, in the in the locker room like that. That that veteran leadership, he's kind of been able to talk with, you know, Correa, you know, help him out, mentor him. What do you see his role on the team being as we get closer to October in the playoffs? Is he a guy that is going to continue to lose at-bats as we've kind of seen in the past few weeks, or is he still going to be put in that lineup?
5: Yeah, I think he's going to play a lot. I think he's going to play you know, as much as he has been. Um, I mean, I know people think he's... I mean, he's been below average for sure, but he hasn't been much below average, and he's 40 years old. Uh, I think you're you're paying for not only the the bat but also the locker room presence the leadership um you know I, this is kind of what he was like the second half of last year at the rangers he wasn't much better i mean he his first half he was an all he was literally an all-star at 39 last year at the yankees and then his second half he kind of tailed off once he got to the rangers a little bit but you know i i still think he's gonna you know he's gonna be a, a big contributor um the second half and you know he's an all-time playoff player so i think uh I don't think any pitcher in a game five eighth inning gonna is going to want to is going to be comfortable right. when he comes to the bat and just hears the announcer announce his name. But you know, I know it, like Astros fans like to uh, nitpick. You know, with Bregman and Beltran, right? And but th- like your lineup is literally scoring yeah. a stupid amount of runs. And, and
1: I, I say nitpicking, and I think I, I, you say nitpicking, and I think that's a, a a great term because you look at it and those guys are still hitting two fifty. You know, I don't look at batting average. Right. There, there's, but <laughs> I, think I know you don't look at batting average. Everyone does, average, but I don't. But they're still hitting 250. Bregman, even, even if he's hitting not that great, he's still putting balls in play, having quality at bats. But, I mean, you, you look at just what this team is doing. I mean, you've got, what, six guys having career years for OPS. Uh, just all these advanced metrics. I mean... How much does it kind of make your job more enjoyable to go to the ballpark and know they're going to put up six seven runs or or for you as a writer do you kind of want to see those one two games
5: uh one two games are better for newspaper deadlines for sure uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I prefer whatever gets us more uh gets us into more papers but uh yeah i mean i i look i say i don't look at batting average, of course I look at batting average, but I think o p s and o p s plus which kind of um is Valued toward the parks and some other factors is much more valuable. And if you look at those, Bregman's been an above league average hitter. He's betting an eighth and ninth for them. He's twenty three years old. I think he's going to be okay. Um, they're yeah, only calm guy, down
1: Astros fans. Bregman they're only. Be fine.
5: <laughs> they're only guys who are below one hundred OPS plus, which one hundred is viewed as the average. Uh, are Beltran, who's I think eighty nine to ninety one range, which is still good. It's nine to ten percent below average, and then Aoki, uh, who barely plays anymore. So. I think they're fine. Uh, offensively, I don't think they're going to make any moves. I think the only move you could look for in the second half, half is offensively is if they survive the deadline without giving up Fisher, he would come up probably August um, and you would think replace Aoki. Um, but, you know, um, I, I think any offensive complaints from fans is is nitpicking at this point and um you know i i understand the concerns about bregman i mean you expected him to be otherworldly in year one but you saw what correa did last year he had similar kind of growing pains and i think uh i still i would still bet on alex bregman to be a multiple-time all-star in his career
1: oh absolutely we saw what he did toward the end of last season after struggling out of the gate i mean he turned it on he was probably the team's best hitter for about three weeks there he was the best hitter on the team right uh so yeah i mean just astros fans chill You'll be fine. Don't have to worry about the offense. Maybe maybe he's a, he should stay off Twitter, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> I kind of find that entertaining. I, I like to see that he's passionate about it. But, I mean, come on. You don't engage fans. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, do you engage your critics? Like, if they, they send you something like, hey, this tweet was a little bit ridiculous, Jake. Uh, Wish your stories were a little bit better.
5: <laughs> yeah, I probably do. But I'm in a different role. I don't play professional sports. Um, Yeah, I probably do. I mean not to mention names, but there was a something like that the other day and I didn't respond and I kind of wanted to. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think if you're a professional athlete, like I would, I would take the George Springer approach and not even have a Twitter. I just like, if I didn't, wasn't in a business where I needed to be on Twitter, I wouldn't re- probably, I, maybe I would have it to look at news, but there's just no good that can come from interacting with your, your critics and right. when you're in that respect. I mean, if I did it, there's no repercussions really. I mean, unless i was like a total jackass to someone. But, right. you know, I can have a, a conversation if, if there is a critic out there. But, you know, when you're in a position like a who's in the spotlight, professional athlete, and there's the potential for that to get to spin and, you know, kind of blow up like like it did with him, it's just, it uh, seems like it's more trouble than it's worth
1: for these guys to, to be on there. Yeah, totally fair. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to go back really quickly to the offense. There's one guy this year who I really want to see be given a chance in the lineup and this is probably a ridiculous statement chris davinsky <laughs> we saw what he did in atlanta i've never seen a player smile as much as he did getting that at bat i mean i guess we kind of have to look at it if, if the astros do make it to the world series the pitchers are gonna you know have to get some a bs how does that kind of change the way you manage games you know because you've got one through nine right now in the american league and you have hitters up and down the lineup but how do you have to change and kind of manage the game a little bit differently in, in a postseason environment? Hypothetically, against the Dodgers, you're gonna have to pull a reliever or pull a starter out early. I, I, do you put the pitcher in the you know the eight hole? How does that work, in your opinion? I don't think it's that different. I mean, until the World Series,
5: um, yeah. I don't. I don't. In a perfect world, no reliever is gonna hit ever. Right um that only happened be, literally because they batted around the in- inning before and it was uh, great i loved it um, <laughs> i thought he was gonna go yard i really did Davinsky <laughs> has been wanting to do that for a while i remember talking to him a few months ago about that because he played shortstop in junior college and um he thinks he could still hit but uh and will harris was like a bona fide slugger at lsu so you know you'd think he'd be the guy but they don't want to you know risking either of those their two best relievers hitting it. is not worth it so i don't think you're gonna see that i think the biggest difference in a World Series, uh, in an NL park, is that you're probably going to pull your starter earlier if an opportunity comes up to to break the game open and pinch hit someone, um, you know, and you're probably going to carry an extra bench bat for that playoff series, but maybe not. I don't know. It's it's kind of early. I haven't really thought too much about how they would do that, um, but yeah, I don't think you would see Chris Davinsky hitting again. <sighs>
1: I, I hope I mean, we, he struck out. He didn't yeah, look too he, good. No, he didn't look good. I just love the enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because it, it, it was it was crazy to me. I, we saw Brad Peacock earlier in the game, just sit up there with literally his bat on his shoulders, and he walked in four straight pitches. I mean, yeah. he, he looked like he wanted nothing
5: to do with swinging the bat. Well, sometimes they tell them that right. you know don't like. I remember Michael Feliz earlier in the year. There's like they they wouldn't let him swing. Like it's just not worth it.
1: Right. Unless you're like Bumgardner or Jake Ariel right. uh, who can hit like 10 home runs a year. Yeah. <laughs> Granky. Yeah. Right. But okay. So looking toward the second half of the season, not necessarily looking at, you know, the schedule, but w- what are some big needs for the Astros? Like if we're having this conversation at the end of October, what makes it a successful season for the Astros? Health.
5: I think health is always the big one and it's, it's boring, but, you know, they need all their guys to stay healthy, um, especially their pitchers and especially their big three in their lineup. That'll determine I mean that's always what determines it, right? And it's not always the best team that wins the World Series. I feel like it more than often isn't, um, but team that stays the healthiest and team that kinda gets hot down the stretch. So health is the big one. They need to get their starters to go deeper in the games to kind of save the bullets of the bull of the bullpen for the second half. And, you know, they'll they'll be able to do that you know, they'll be able to find creative ways to manage innings once they kind of really wrap up the division in
1: September and kinda expand the rosters and
5: Get guys more rest here and
1: there. I think. So you mentioned that uh, the best team doesn't always win in in the playoffs, and I think that that's totally fair. We see it with basketball, the five game series. It, it's a totally different animal, especially when you have you know Kevin Brown pitching. You know, I think yeah, and I think it's times. baseball,
5: baseball and hockey probably more than the other two. I mean, football, I mean, it's one game. Right. So, but I think
1: basketball is the one where the best team usually wins. Maybe right, especially especially since they switched to a seven game series in the first round, but. To me, that's kind of odd in baseball because you, you go the entire season with a five-man rotation, and then you uh, only use three, maybe four mm-hmm. of, the, of the starters. I mean, is there a way to make the playoffs? I guess more advantageous for the teams that finish with the best record, or it,
5: it, I think the putting the home field advantage back to the best records was one one thing to to do, um, but I don't think so. I think it's just the nature of the game. It's a different it's a different beast once you get to the playoffs and. I think it's fun. I mean, those games last October were a blast to watch. You're sitting on your edge of your seat on every pitch, and that's ultimately what the game needs and and what you want to watch. So, I don't know what they could do to change that. I think it's. I mean, every team knows it's coming. They know, you know, the playoffs are different. There's more rest days, so right. I think every team at the same uh, has the same
1: advantages and disadvantages they can plan for. All right. So, final predictions here before we let you go. Uh, Astros, of course, win the division. I don't think that's going anywhere but who represents al in the world series i hate predictions uh are they who's healthy and who's not healthy say in a perfect scenario everyone's healthy
5: perfect scenario everyone's healthy um do the astros get a starter Uh, let's say they do get a starter then i think they went they represent the al in the world series okay and I think the Dodgers. I mean, Dodgers are really good. Uh, you could argue they're better than the
1: Astros. What, 25 or 29 or 26 yeah, they, of they, they haven't lost in six yeah. weeks or something.
5: Um, yeah, and you know, they, they, they've they been er, hurt a little bit too. They missed Justin Turner for three weeks and then he's now he's an MVP candidate. They they're, they're Adrian Gonzalez hasn't played in forever. Um, you know, they lost Urias for the rest of the year. So, you know, I know Astros fans like to, you know, spin the narrative that like, oh, our whole rotation was in the DL. It's like,
1: Everyone has issues. Everyone
5: has issues. Number one, the the whole rotation thing is a little overblown. McCullers missed two starts. Kiehl um, and, and Morton, yes, they were they were out for a month plus. That's that's big. And, and but people
1: forget that last year the Indians went to the postseason. They went to the playoffs. They the, went to the World Series. They didn't have Brantley or Carrasco with, with no starting pitching. Or yeah, they Outside were missing everyone.
5: So yeah, Salazar. Yeah, so everyone has injuries. Um, but I, I think it's going to come down to who's healthiest, as it usually does. But on paper. Mid July, I mean, Astros and Dodgers are clearly the two best teams.
1: All right, so you heard it here first: Astros, Dodgers in the World Series. Jake Kaplan is going on the record <laughs> with that. Uh, but Jake, uh, coming up here in a few weeks, you're going to be heading to Cooperstown uh, for Jeff Bagwell. Tell me about the coverage that you guys have coming up here on the Chronicle in the next few weeks.
5: Yeah, well, we're going to have a special as the as the Chronicle did for for when Biggio was going in two years ago. We're going to have a special uh, section that that drops the Friday. Uh, t- at least scheduled as of now, the, the Friday before induction, which I believe is July 28th. Um, so, that, that definitely picked that one up um, in the Chronicle, and and uh, yeah, it should be a fun weekend. We've uh, myself, uh, Brian T. Smith, and Karen Warren, our photographer, will all be there, um, bunking up in a house together. So that'll be <laughs> fun. Um, and yeah, I've never been for an induction. I was there as a kid for you know to see him at the museum. So I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing what it's all about and and being there being there for it it should be a, a fun fun weekend and then you know the next day it's trade deadline day so it'll be a busy man busy few days yeah
1: and uh, of course if you want to follow uh jake on twitter it's jake m kaplan and uh you're not a huge fan of twitter right
5: <laughs> no but i i mean i'm on it obsessively because it's my job and i i like to try to interact with with fans and readers so um yeah i mean like i said earlier I, it's kind of part of my
1: job and you know there are there there are some fun parts of it too jake it's always great to have you in the studio uh enjoy the next few weeks as you uh travel all across the u.s head up to new york for uh the induction and uh check his twitter account for breaking news on uh astros twa- trades i've seen his uh phone light up a few times here i <laughs> don't I don't know if that's any of his sources or uh, a tinder date later tonight but uh, <laughs> no jake, comment <laughs> jake it's been great thanks for having me on as usual You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Julian Mark Keel, a senior writer for The Points Guy. And uh, if you're not familiar with The Points Guy, it's probably one of my daily reads. I I go to The Economist, I check Twitter, and I check to see what's going on in traveling, essentially maximizing your travel with The Points Guy. And and Julian, it's great to have you on the show this week. And uh, for those that might not be familiar with The Points Guy, I feel like the organization has sort of blown up over the last few years. But tell me what your role is with The Points Guy and kind of what you guys do.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Austin. Uh, Yeah, we up here at The Points Guy, uh, obviously our name indicates our main focus, which is that we talk a lot about points and miles, frequent flyer miles, hotel points, loyalty programs, and how you can travel for free or very close to free by maximizing those programs. But we also talk a lot about other aspects of travel. About We do a lot of hotel reviews and flight reviews. We talk about different cities. We have uh, a really uh, large, already large and growing site, and uh, it's a place that you really can come to and get all of your travel uh, questions answered.
1: So I, I, I guess when you started uh, joining, I guess, the Points Guy, what made you—did you have a passion for travel, or what was it that kind of made that decision for you to say, hey, I want to write for this organization? <laughs>
3: That's, you know, it's a, a funny story. I actually was a uh, writer and director for World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, <laughs> uh, a few years back, and as part of that, I had to travel every single week because we did the show— from these arenas around the country and sometimes even around the world, uh, live on the USA Network or taped for uh, SmackDown, uh, as that show is called. And so, uh, when I was doing that, I did it for a couple of years. I really got an appreciation for frequent flyer programs and loyalty programs because I was constantly flying and I was constantly staying in hotels. So I learned a lot just from doing. I flew about 200,000 miles a year oh, wow. back then. Yeah, it was a lot, and uh, it's funny because uh, uh, at WWE, there becomes a culture because the entire crew and 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 wrestlers and, and talent are all traveling to the arenas each week themselves, and so there becomes this entire culture about travel where everybody talks about, like, well, what kind of elite status do you have or what's your airline <laughs> and, and how many miles do you have? Oh, yeah, well, I'm thinking about going for platinum on there. It's really everybody in the organization because – There's so much traveling going on has this this interest in travel so when uh when I was done with that I I had that interest I had built it and so I was able to take my expertise and start writing about it for others and uh eventually it led me to here
1: so I, I I'm not gonna lie I'm not a huge WWE fan I know one of our co-hosts Hunter is a diehard WWE guy but I, I am curious about one thing if, if if it's the end of the WWE season let's call it December and Vince really needs to hit 1k is he going to schedule some sort of wrestling match, I guess, on the opposite side of the country, or perhaps out of the country to get those extra points
3: <laughs> well uh, that that fortunately would never happen for vince because he he travels private, so <laughs> he, he wouldn 't have to do that, uh, but really, in fact, there 's so much travel and so many opportunities i don 't know that anybody would have to schedule anything, but I do know that certain members of the crew and maybe even, I, I don't know, may, I don't want to say any wrestlers did it, but certainly certain members of the staff and crew would get to the end of the year and maybe be a little short on their status, so they would do what uh, is called a mileage run, which is where you fly somewhere for no reason other than to get <laughs> the elite miles, and then you turn around, sometimes on the exact same plane, and fly right back home. I will admit I've done a few mileage runs in my own time to get elite status or to get back to where I was, where I started, and so it's it did happen. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I, it did occasionally happen at WWE.
1: So I will say that I am actually considering a mileage run at the end of the year, not necessarily from Miles' perspective because of the premier qualifying dollars that United uh, has added on in recent years. And I guess let's kind of transition to travel real quick. I mean, if you're in Houston or Texas, uh, it's essentially United out of Houston and then American out of Dallas. Those are essentially the two airlines uh, that a lot of people rely on. And uh, it, it seems like mileage status used to be almost a bigger deal you know 10 to 15 years ago it seems like you're almost rewarded more for traveling more and now it seems like the airlines i'm not sure if it's you know decreased profits or if it's just trying to make it more competitive but it seems like you know platinum status might not be what it was 15 years ago 1k might not be what it was 15 years ago why is that why do we see airlines kind of tweaking with their mileage programs
3: yeah, first of all, you're exactly right. We even say here that your uh, your status is no longer how much you fly, it's how much you spend. And that is definitely the way uh, it's gone in the last few years. Uh, the reason, And the reason that's happening is simply because uh, they can. And it's happening for both airlines and hotels. And because the economy has been pretty good, travel is strong, uh, airline seats are, are filled and the hotel rooms are booked, so they just don't have to relo uh, they don't have to reward loyalty as much as they do so if they're going to reward loyalty they're going to reward people who've spent the most versus those who have stayed the most so it, it is it's been happening for a while it's been coming it, it's been long in coming there's still a few programs that do reward you based on the distance flown versus the amount you spend uh... alaska airlines mileage plan is a program that we personally like here at the Points Guy a lot because not only are they, do they award miles by distance flown, but they have a lot of partners that you can redeem those miles on. So you can earn Alaska miles and not have to fly then on Alaska with them. You can fly on a lot of other airlines. So, uh, it, and when it comes to elite status, it's the same thing. They just don't need to offer as much to flyers because they don't have to work that hard to sell the seats. Uh, that's not going to last forever. At some point, there'll be a recession, and and this may turn back in favor of the consumer when they're trying to to fill these planes and fill these hotels. But for the moment, the airlines and the hotels have the advantage.
1: I think that's interesting to me. You you say that you know they don't have to work to sell the seats, but we've seen you know the negative press you know with United uh, with, with uh, you know the dragging the passenger off the plane. I mean, it seems like United honestly like has some sort of PR issue every few months. But uh, it, it it's 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 almost not pleasant to fly uh, domestic carriers. I mean, I could tell you uh, earlier this year, I was flying from Tokyo to Singapore and I was flying on ANA and there was a not- noticeable difference from when I flew from Houston to Tokyo and, and I was even in uh, Polaris. And so I was able to, uh, you know, allegedly have, you know, the best customer service, if you will, on a, on a domestic carrier. But A was clearly ahead. Why is it that American carriers just lag so far behind, you know, foreign carriers?
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting because the U.S. carriers do lag behind, especially when it comes from a service perspective. But even from a, 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 a what we call the hard product, the actual seats and the actual cabin, you mentioned United Polaris, uh, and and they've had a very good marketing campaign behind that that term Polaris. But what a lot of people don't realize is that while the uh, service the polaris services rolled out across the entire united fleet that's the what we call the soft product that's the food that's the blankets and sort of all that sort of thing the actual polaris seats are only on about half a dozen routes right now right so if you went from houston to tokyo you were in the old I united <laughs> seats, which they still call polaris but it's not the same thing and it's certainly not competitive with the international uh, carriers you know it, it it comes down to you have to also remember that our airline industry in the U.S. has been a little different than most other countries in that for many years we had a dozen different airlines all roughly of the same or similar size competing against each other. And when airlines compete, it's almost never on comfort or perks or anything like that. It's always on price because when people book their tickets, that's what they book based on. When you go to, you say, "Well, oh, i got to fly from whatever, L.A. to New York, what is the first thing you do? Well, you go on to somewhere like Orbitz or Expedia or maybe directly to the airline website, and you say, what's it going to cost me? You're looking for generally the flight that's going to cost the least and get you there the fastest with the least number of connections. When it comes to the perks, most people just don't really think about them. So the airlines are generally not going to cater to something that customers don't really book based on now that is changing a bit on premium routes because customers are demanding it Uh, in places like business on international routes customers will book for a more uh, uh, a a better product for a better seat for better service because they know that's going to be a long flight so it matters but when it comes to going from you know uh, Dubuque to Houston uh, People are just want to get there as fast as they can for as cheap as possible. So you're not going to see a lot of fancy seats on a route like that.
1: So in, in Houston, it's it's an international city. It, it's arguably one of the most diverse cities uh, in the United States. You know, according to Forbes and L.A. Times, uh, and there are a lot of international business routes. You know, whether it's to Europe, whether it's to uh, Asia, and you know, also it's to the Middle East and of course Emirates and you know the, the M3, the the big carriers in the Middle East. They've sort of I don't know that they've been necessarily targeted over the last few months, whether it's from the U.S. carriers or the U.S. government. But we've seen like this electronics ban and it's been kind of claimed that, uh, you know, it was for national security, that it was, you know, to potentially thwart terrorism. Uh, But then there was a lot of speculation that, you know, maybe this is just a way to kind of compete with the Middle Eastern carriers. And we've kind of seen the U.S. relax some of that, uh, you you know, the electronics ban in here in recent weeks. But I guess in your opinion, what was the cause of that? Is it just U.S. carriers and their lobbyists just trying to compete with the big three over in the Middle East?
3: Well, I I don't I I know that's been speculated and certainly the uh, what they call the U.S. three, which is. Uh, Delta, American, and United are not fans of the ME3, the Middle Eastern three, which is Emirates, Etihad, and uh, Qatar. Uh, but and they certainly do. Uh, they certainly argue back and forth through their various uh, lobbying groups, and one side accuses the other of getting government subsidies, and the other side, you know, says that they have the protection of bankruptcy court, and it can go back and forth. Uh, but when it comes to the electronics ban, this is the ban we're referring to, where. Uh, flights coming to the U.S. from certain cities in the Middle East and Africa, you could not bring your laptop or your mobile phone into the cabin with you. It had to be checked, which was certainly inconvenient in this day and age for a lot of people. Uh, that was based on a Department of Homeland Security uh, and intelligence. It was based on an incident that happened in a, in a flight in the region a few months ago, where an a explosive did go off and it was hidden in a laptop. Fortunately, no one was hurt except for the the, the guy who did it, and uh, it, it, and so that's where that ban originated. It, it wasn't really implemented very well, in in my opinion, uh, and it has mostly, or it's in the process of being. Uh, rescinded from cities as they can show that they can uh, that they have enhanced security procedures, uh, and eventually, I think all of those cities will be cleared again. Uh, so I don't subscribe to the theory that that was done as a uh, commercial uh, uh, retribution or anything like that. I think there was a legitimate security question there. I don't know that it was handled the best way it could have been or fairly. Uh, and I'm certainly glad to see that it's it's, it's able to be remedied. Uh, that being said, the the, the US-3 and the ME-3 are, are certainly going to keep <laughs> arguing and fighting, I think, for the uh, foreseeable future.
1: Well, and just earlier this week on The Points Guy, uh, you guys had an article talking about American Airlines, which is going to end their code share uh, with Etihad and, and, and Qatar. And, it, you know, you guys ultimately said that it was a symbolic gesture and that, you know, it's just going to have limited impact to travelers. But, I mean, are we, can we see the US just kind of almost compete against those Middle Eastern carriers? Because, I mean, I, I to be honest, I've only flown share Airlines. I haven't flown, you know, the big three Middle Eastern airlines. But from all I've heard, it's those are the elite. Those are the, you know, the A-plus carriers. Uh, are we going to see more U.S. carriers like American try to compete with them that way?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because the, you're, you're certainly right. Those, those Middle Eastern carriers really are the, the, the cream of the crop when it comes to the top-end, uh, first-class, business-class uh the residents and 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 you know exotic uh, uh accommodations like that on board an airplane but really when you put all of that away what the US carriers are probably more concerned about than the ME3 the ME3 gets a lot of noise but the US carriers are actually much more concerned about the low cost carriers the other end of the market because that's where most people are actually booking and when i say low cost carriers domestically i'm referring to spirit and frontier right. but then internationally i'm referring to pl- uh, airlines like norwegian and wow who can take you to europe now from the u.s for as low as 300 bucks round trip uh you have to like all low-cost carriers be aware of the fees they're going to charge you for seats they're going to charge you for check bags they're going to charge you for a lot of things so you got to be wise about it but when you have airlines flying multiple dozens of routes now we're getting to from the US to Europe and you can do it at that price. That puts a lot of pressure on the legacy carriers to if they have to match it or they have to show a reason that you should book with them for more money and that's real tough in the airline industry.
1: And kind of switching on those low cost carriers, I think one of my favorite things to do is I I, I follow this newsletter called Scott's Cheap Flights, and I know you guys refer to it a few times on uh, the TPG website, and I think that's kind of my biggest problem with you know getting those premier qualifying dollars on United is I end up getting those like three and four hundred dollar flights to Europe. I love it, but I don't like it. Uh, but you know, for people that are just kind of getting into the credit card game, whether it's you know they're just graduating out of college or you know they like to travel but they're just kind of stuck with you know one of the 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 cheaper and credit cards or perhaps even a debit card from their bank, why would you recommend them to, you know, maybe go for one of the higher end cards, like you know, the, the Amex Platinum or the the Chase Sapphire Reserve. I mean, what kind of benefits do those cards provide for people that do like traveling and seeing the world?
3: Yeah, that, that's a great question. And that's really one of the big things that we do here is explain why to get these cards and how they work and how you really can use them to your advantage. The first thing to know about credit cards is that if you're going to do use them, and, and, and by the way, a lot of people think, well, frequent flyer miles, I get those from flying, right? Not really. Nowadays you get them more from credit cards than you do from flying, something like 66%, uh, almost two-thirds of all uh, frequent flyer miles are no longer earned by flying. They're earned from credit cards and from dining and shopping and things like that. So if you're going to earn a bunch of frequent flyer miles, you're going to probably not do it by flying. The 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 thing to remember about credit cards, it is the most lucrative way to earn frequent flyer miles. And it's it needs to be part of your strategy if you're going to accumulate a a decent stash, but you've got to be responsible with your credit cards. If you are not good at managing your finances if you're not good at sticking to a budget then this is not the thing for you to do you should stick with that debit card but if you are disciplined and organized and you know to only spend on your credit cards what you would spend otherwise with cash and no more just because you can and you are able to pay your bill in full every single month without making uh, paying one cent of interest or late fees then it is a great way to earn miles and and hotel point and rewards. Uh, that for no cost to you because there is generally no charge for using a credit card over what you'd pay when using cash or a debit card. The premium cards that you mentioned, the Amex Platinum, the Chase Sapphire Reserve, the City Prestige, those are all cards that are really great for the regular traveler. If you're only traveling once or twice a year, that might not be the card for you because they are expensive. But if you're traveling regularly or if you get at least one international trip a year, and those are great cards because they come with not just the ability to earn miles and to earn them at a high rate, but they come with a lot of travel benefits, a lot of travel perks. They come with lounge access at various airports around the world. They come with a travel credit that you can use on, say, the Chase Sapphire Reserve, uh, $300 each year that you're a card member that you can you can charge three hundred dollars worth of travel and they'll reimburse you for it, so that's basically three hundred dollars worth of say free airfare or even uber or or Lyft or anything like that all counts as travel uh, there's a lot of different uh, perks of these cards that make them worth their expensive price tags. They're not for everyone, but they are definitely for the regular traveler, and and they're useful from a rewards perspective as well.
1: Yeah, and to our listeners, if you don't have one of these cards or you're interested in kind of trying to find one, I would recommend going to slash uh, cards and it kind of gives you a rundown of all the different benefits, annual fees, what the offers are. Uh, great information there. Um, I personally have uh, the Plan X or the, the Platinum card from Amex, and absolutely love it, especially the the Uber credit. But again, we've got Julian Mark Keel, the senior writer for uh, the points guy on. And Julian, uh, you've been, you know, very busy uh, writing. I just I'm, I'm looking at your recent stories. You're covering everything from like Norwegian to United's ex- expanded award availability, uh, you know, how, how to get 110,000 Southwest points. What are you working on right now for TPG?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have, as uh, like you said, i got a lot of different projects and a lot of different uh, things that I do every day. One of the things, though, I actually love doing the most is answering reader questions. I do it three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And anyone can write me, uh, write the point at info at com or... Uh, message us on facebook at the points guy or tweeted us at the points guy and ask a question about travel about miles about points about really anything in the realm of travel and uh... every three times a week i, I write up a, a, one of these questions and I, I answer it and and i love doing that because one it's it's something that our readers enjoy and they get their questions answered maybe something that we haven't covered or that we covered long ago uh, but also I can see what people are really interested in because I get that real-time feedback of, of hearing from readers. So uh, that that's by far my favorite thing to do, and if you do have a question about travel, please write us and please... Ask uh, ask your question, and because uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you.
1: And not only are you guys making life easier for readers, but you've got a great program at TPG called Points for Peace, where you're essentially uh, helping other people in you know kind of disadvantaged countries throughout the world, specifically Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about that program?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, Points for Peace. We're very proud of that program. Uh, the Points Guy himself, Brian Kelly, uh, he founded that program, uh, and he 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 did it because he believes in the the transformative power of travel. Travel really does change lives. It brings people from different cultures together in a way that they they would never otherwise meet. So he wanted to 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 give back uh, to to folks uh, in a philo- philanthropic way. And so Points for Peace uh, has a number of projects going on. One of our founding pro- – par- it's a founding partner uh, with Peace Jam, who, which is a global leader in peace education. It's led by over a dozen Nobel Peace Prize winners who you know, personally work with youth from around the world and, and give them skills and inspiration to bring positive change. Uh, we've also grown to include work with Rainbow Railroad to save uh, LGBT people from uh, places where they're uh, in danger from death or imprisonment. So it, it's really something that we, we're very proud of. And we, we're very pleased that we can give back uh, something to, to those who really need it.
1: Yeah, It's uh, great work that you guys are doing. I'm definitely a huge fan of the site. And uh, Julian, I appreciate you for uh, taking the time and joining us. And you're uh, not as active as I would like to see you on social media. I think you've got a great like Twitter page. But like, you got to tweet more, and for, or, <laughs> and I, I especially love that uh, James Harden uh, painting that you have on your uh, your Twitter feed right now. That's absolutely great. I sent that to a few friends, but uh, for people that are interested in uh, following your work, whether it's on the Points Guy or social media, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you?
3: Yeah, it's definitely to check out The Points Guy on Facebook uh, or uh, tweet us at The Points Guy on Twitter, uh, Instagram, The Points Guy. We are uh, all over uh, the the usual social media channels that you would expect, and uh, please, we do want to hear from you. We love interacting with our readers, so uh, don't be shy. Come and find us.
1: And also, you can check out Julian on Devil's Advocate. Uh, That's D-V-L-S-A-D-V-C-A-T-E. And like I said, hilarious Twitter page. I definitely enjoy it. But uh, Julian, it was great to have you on today's show. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much, Austin. Appreciate it. Closing time.
1: All right. We just had two great interviews. Uh, Thanks to Jake Kaplan and Julian (laughs) Markiel. for joining us on the podcast and Hunter, you kind of boo every time I say uhJ that was Kaplan's that was name. jeremy what <laughs> all right so so Jake, disrespectful Jake talked a little bit about what we can expect from the astros post all star break, but we didn't get into uh the series at hand this week against the twins. Astros go two of one uh Keichel is getting a rehab start monday nights uh in in the minor leagues and uh derek you're the you're the baseball expert here, i guess at this table uh fires just looked. Uh, phenomenal today, striking out 11, uh, going seven innings. It was the first time the Astros had had a starting pitcher get into the seventh inning, complete a seventh inning since June 16th. Sad. That is insane.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, rough. I mean, I didn't get to watch all of it, unfortunately, because I was on the air. But Fires has been coming around ever since he worked on... Yeah, right? (laughs) Ever since uh, he worked on his arm angle. And, I mean, he had it working today. As far as it goes for Keuchel... Um, getting his rehab start, what you 're going to look for what everyone wants to see is like really efficient numbers and like oh was he was he sharp like was his stuff moving was he locating well? But what matters to Dallas actually is going to be how quickly he bounces back like when you hear hear them build up a pitch count it 's Like in spring training, right, they're trying to build them up, build them up. Well, what they're looking for is how quickly they recover. So when you're thinking, oh, we're not sure how much time we're going to need, how many more rehab starts Keuchel's going to need, it's literally up to him. It's going to be how quickly he bounces back from soreness. Like if he goes 50 to 70 pitches and he feels fine in three or four days, then you know they're not really going to feel the need to throw a second one in there because the feel is going to come back quicker than your durability if you will, does that make sense, Hunter? You look like you're. No,
2: you're good. You're so good. Okay. Yeah, no. I, no. What I, I was going to ask is, do you think it's weird how cavalier Dallas and the Astros have been about him missing so much time because of a quote freak injury, like this pinch nerve in his neck? Uh, right? Like they, uh, you've been around the ro- uh, around the locker room. I have too. It's like nothing went wrong. He's he's in a great mood. The team's in a great mood. AJ keeps talking about how you know it's a conservative measure. A, it's like. The The guy missed two months because he, like, you know, cranked his neck
4: wrong. The energy would definitely be different if they were losing. The fact that they're able to win changes everything. Let's just be honest, right? Everyone's happy when you're winning. You think it's suspicious? Is my point? Uh, oh, oh, um, no, because nagging injuries like this, nerve injuries, you never really know how long they're going to take. I remember I was throwing once and I lost feeling from my forearm down because when there's swelling in your arm around your elbow, there's a, there's a nerve there, an ulnar nerve, that can get pinched um, just from the swelling of using your forearm. Oh, and it usually happens over 100 pitches. That Jeremy found work. that out
2: when he was watching the light, uh, last episode of
4: Game of Thrones. <laughs> there we <laughs> go, yeah. That was nice, And pitch double stumbled a little bit. <laughs> a little stranger there for you. So, yeah, you're, there's numbness that happens, and sometimes you can pitch through it, other times you can't. So I can imagine what was happening was he was losing feel. Literally, yeah. As You guys are still giggling about your Game of Thrones joke.
0: No, yeah. no, because it's, it's happened to me several times that I've never pitched a ball in my life.
4: <laughs> Good for you. If All there's right. that much torque. Now,
0: Jeremy needs the show because uh,
2: his girl turns the uh, the safe search on for his computer, so he <laughs> can't use the Internet for mm. other purposes.
4: Mm. Yeah, she, she's blocked, it, it, she's blocked the, the incognito thing on Chrome. It's horrible. This yeah. is one of those times where I think this is not where I planned on going, but it's where we've ended up. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I usually drag us there. Yeah, you do. All right, so back to the Astros.
1: Uh, one of the other big storylines this week is Jose Quintana uh, gets traded to the Cubs. Astros were rumored to be interested in him for you know the better part of the last two seasons. Quintana goes out on Sunday, pitches phenomenal, goes seven innings, strikes out, I believe, 12, allows three or four hits. Did the Astros miss on not signing Quintana? We're making an offer.
4: What we learned from the Quintana trade is that it's a seller's market, period. They got four big prospects from the Cubs that everyone's kind of, you know, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you let that go. Well, guess what, Astros fans? I mean, the same thing is going to happen to you. You're not going to get your pocket picked, but observe the fact of what the Cubs gave up. If the Astros want another serious pitcher, whether it be in the bullpen or as a starter, you're going to have to give something up, and that's okay. Baseball, you have a hoarding problem. All your prospects don't make it to the majors. You only have a 25-man roster. Right? There's right. there's contract guarantees in some of these guys' contracts that he can make it to the majors for a cup of coffee for two weeks because he has to. Another guy that might be playing better doesn't, so he doesn't see the light of day. So accept the fact that prospects are going to have to go. If that's what it takes to win a championship, get rid of
2: it. It's okay. And the
4: Astros have a lot of them. That that's why you stockpile like- talent is for moments like this so you can get rid of it if you have to. So... Be aware that it's a seller's market and just accept it. If you're the GM of the Astros, is there a guy in the minor
1: league system that's off the market or is everyone up for fair game if you get the right
4: guy? I wouldn't say that. The one thing I would say, though, is they should probably be looking for a reliever because... I know we all want a starter. We don't think Charlie Morton's good enough, or we'd like, Who's we? don't like put, a stronger... To, don't
2: put us in the we. I, I guess in I'll, I'll general... I'll put myself in that we. <laughs> in,
4: in general, there's a feeling that they want a starter, but the Astros are 9-18 and 18 when scoring three runs or fewer, and they're also only a few games over 500 when it comes to one- and two-run games, and what that tells you is the bullpen's not hanging on. No, I mean, so, they, they were great the first month of the
1: season when you had starters being able to go five, six, seven innings, but since they've been taxed the last month, I and mean, we said earlier... They've only had two outings in the past month in which the starter's gone seven. You've seen those numbers just
4: skyrocket. You can win with what you're doing right now. You just need help. So if you put Peacock in the bullpen, does that kind of solve some of your problems? If you want to do that, yeah, I yeah, suppose you could. And then you wouldn't have to make a move, which makes the argument for that.
2: Yeah, I did, I, I disagree, Derek, because the move... Um, I, I don't disagree with your premise about the bullpen needing to be shored up, but... Any move that's going to be made now is with the World Series in mind. You know, like... Right. And so, you... Look, you get an awesome frontline starter as your number two or number three in a playoff series for the Astros that dramatically changes the complexion of those series. You know, like Charlie Morton, at times, is really good. Injury-prone, though. Not so reliable. Like, the guy's never pitched a big playoff game before. So, um... Like that's the bigger priority for them. It's not bolstering the bullpen. They're, they're also not going to get somebody, let's be realistic, like they're not going to get some awesome shutdown reliever to throw into the mix of the three really good
4: relievers they would use in those high-level situations, right? Um, yeah, there's not really an Andrew Miller or Chapman that's on the market that you could yeah. run into. Even. Well,
2: or, or even if there was,
4: you have to weigh... If there was, they'd, I would say they would need to.
2: But no, but no, they would. they wouldn't have to, no. They're not going to give up their best prospects, Derek Fisher um, or Francis Martez, to get a rental reliever. You know, like Jeff probably – we had this conversation, whatever it was, a month or two ago about how Jeff has worked so hard to develop his roster deep into the minors and do it economically – that I just find it so hard to believe that he's going to give those guys up, even for for anything they need. Well, if you know, they like you add Garrett Cole into this mix, holy crap!
4: it's a really good. You can get a reliever, and if they're worried about giving up too much, you can get a reliever for much cheaper. I'm sure.
2: What reliever are they? Uh, but they're look. I, I'm I'm, not, I'm having trouble articulating this, but they're not going to spend their bullets. They're, you know, they're not going to use up their bullets to get a reliever that isn't a great reliever. That's just another pretty good arm when they probably could shorten up uh, Musgrove or Peacock in a playoff series. That's what we're trying to say, right? Like, okay, maybe you could find a guy that's more dependable than Luke Gregerson. That shouldn't be too hard. Um, But what's the point of going out and trading for that arm when you probably have to put together a package to get a much more valuable starting pitcher?
4: Just because they're having trouble staying in only, but Oh, no, but but
2: that's a regular season problem. We're talking about winning the World Series, right? About five
4: games at a time, yeah. And so you're willing the offense to carry you and some starter, which all that have been on the market.
2: Are you suggesting that they're they're what? They're not going to miss the playoffs if they don't get a
4: reliever? No, I'm suggesting that all the starters that they've been looking at don't necessarily bring that big of an impact in, right? Sonny Gray has been good as of late, but he would be fantastic, Derek. As a number three starter in How do you the postseason? How do you know that based on what he's done this season?
2: We don't know if any pitcher is going to be great, but right. odds are that you put this guy in a winning ball club with the kind of offense that the Astros have in games that friggin'
1: matter. That elevates guys' performance. And he's
2: going to be Oftentimes. the number three starter.
1: <laughs> Oftentimes. Seriously, though. Word.
2: Having him come after Dallas Keuchel, Lance McCullers, and Sonny Gray, it's
1: pretty dope. I'll take that one, two, three any day. I, I, w- I wouldn't mind having Sonny Gray on this roster. But, and, but and what we've seen is Oakland is going to make deals. They sent two relievers just on Sunday to the Nationals. So. It's, still,
2: it's still a little moot because I I, think that, I, I still think it's unlikely that um, the general manager, Jeff Luno, would part ways with any of these prospects. Which I just is think why that, the
4: reliever seems more realistic because but, he's going to give up much less. All right,
2: it, drop in the bucket. It's just not, <laughs> it's just not, that, it's just not a big priority. But plus, they would go after a lefty reliever, if anything.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We've got two weeks until the non waiver uh, trade deadline comes up. Uh, so I think the Astros could potentially uh, make a move. I think they are going to be uh, rumors swirling on whether or not they actually do uh, make that move, especially as we get closer to the deadline. Is but, it worth
2: just quickly mentioning who the prospects are that that, that other teams might be interested in? Yeah, so everybody sure. knows about Derek Fisher.
1: Forrest that's, Whitley, who's having a hell of a, a season right now in high A ball. I think he struck out like 12 or 13 batters Saturday in just over five innings of work. So, I mean, he's, he's a guy that's really lit it up, especially with this changeup. Uh, in the minor league baseball, you. you know a lot more than I do. Yeah, about yeah this guy. Baseball America actually had a really good story on him uh, Sunday morning that you can check out. We actually tweeted it on our page at Weekly Brewcast. But I think Fisher, Martez, Colin Moran, Whitley, Moran, yeah, he's and he's a little more expendable because and, and you're you're a little he's backlogged crowded out. At the, yeah, you're you're backlogged at the the corner. I was say he's
2: crowded out. Um, Tucker. Everybody wants... What's the... I, only, I can't remember... His, I only remember his brother's first Kyle. name. Kyle. Kyle Tucker. Yeah, he's he's crushing it in AA. Uh, and that's another guy where, like, you might as well give him up if you have so many outfielders. Tucker actually so. hasn't
4: played for a couple days. He's, like, mysteriously... Yeah, I saw that he yeah. uh,
1: walked off with a trainer yeah. uh, in
4: it's, Saturday's game. It's a Friday's game. Yeah. Because it's. It, I'm seeing it on Twitter all the time. It's Kyle Tucker. He had to get home in lineup. time
1: for Game of Thrones.
4: Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> there we go. Perfect and, explanation. And speaking of that, uh,
1: you can uh, follow Jeremy on Fiesta of 8. He's inchi- itching to leave Right now, I, I don't know. Watch Game I, I don't know
0: if I'm going to tweet, guys. I've got this real sore. <laughs> I've got, I've got the, some elbow pain right now. It's worrying me going into the premiere. Your
2: ulnar nerve has been pinched by you pinching,
0: <laughs> it's inflammation.
4: You'll be fine. All right, so if you, yeah, want to you follow, need a
1: release. If you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also check out our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, uh, Hunter, Derek, it's been great having you in studio this week. And uh, for those that want to follow both of them, you can check out Hunter at Hunter Atkins 35 and then Derek at, at what, And again, no relation to Jared. Uh, Hunter, Thank you. what do you have coming up on uh, the Quran this week? I'm covering
2: the games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'll you're going to be there Tuesday. Oh, yeah. De- yeah. You're the best part of those games, Derek. Oh, is Derek? Love... Derek texts me, asking me what. sit next to each other in the press box. We no, don't actually. No, no, I wish we did. We, I get nothing done. But no, the best part is when Derek uh, will text me in the middle of my like panicking, you know, tornado of work. What's for What's for dinner? What's on the menu?
4: Like, <laughs> I'll sure. text him hours before the game, too, because I know he's there and I'm not. Sometimes I'll just be like, hey on the menu yeah meanwhile i'm you know, like sweating trying to like you
2: know, meet my deadline but uh no i'm covering the games on tuesday and wednesday uh i have i think in two weeks i have a pretty big story coming out about jeff bagwell um you know because we're gearing up our coverage who's that
1: just some, some, guy, some guy who, who,
2: who, oh, I, who, oh, who I didn't think deserved to be in the hall of fame <laughs> by the way and i've been excoriated uh, for that
4: he's been around a lot man this ever since i mean the, the hall of fame thing obviously brings you i haven't seen him where Oh, you he's at the stadium? Yeah, I saw... Oh, you know, it was no, the Biggio's. Rangers. He, yeah, during the Rangers yeah. series, it was Biggio around with okay. Nolan Ryan. He, he's yeah. made a few appearances, but he's but not, anyway, he's not right. as public as Biggio. I'm covering the games on Tuesday
2: Wednesday. Please check out the coverage. Um, and then on Sunday, I have a very special story coming out in a different section. It is non-sports. It is about um, the issue of homelessness in the city of Houston. Uh, it's a very big story that I've been working on for about two months. And I think that anybody who has attended an Astros game this year and walked by the ballpark and walked through... It's different now. Well, go on. In what regard,
1: Austin? Well, I mean, the mayor has
4: instilled policies telling homeless people that they can't... This story is is fantastic, by the way. I know some of it, and it is... I cannot wait to read it.
2: Yeah, I would appreciate it if... uh, It's a really interesting
4: story. Yeah, so
2: next Sunday, so a week from... This podcast will come out Sunday night, right? Right, right. So a week from today... Uh, that's the Sunday issue of the Chronicle. Please, you know, pick up an issue, or you can follow me on Twitter, which is at hunter atkins thirty five, and you'll probably see it there. It's a diff- It's a very different
1: uh, story about homelessness than I think anybody has probably ever read. Definitely looking forward to reading that. And again, uh, also subscribe to the Chronicle, houstonchronicle.com. It's like, what, 10 cents a day or something like that? Definitely worth it. Uh, but also check out Hunter's uh, work that he had this past week on Trey Cruz, talking about the Cruz family here in Houston and the, uh, the baseball legacy that they've had. Uh, but guys, it's been great having you all in studio. Uh, Jeremy, you've got to get to Game of Thrones. Absolutely. And I believe you have to get somewhere as well. Also. Yeah, I, I have to go to the airport. But uh, guys, it's great having you in studio. And on behalf of my co-hosts this week, Hunter Atkins, Jeremy Pax, and Derek Fogel. My name's Austin Stadden. We'll see you next week. You've
0: been listening to The Weekly Brew.